0: hey guys just before we get started i wanted to kind of put a swear warning because i realize i do in fact swear a lot and i just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child and also i'd like to say uh sorry mom (laughs) let's get started with the episode Long May She Reign, presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Rain Podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. Now I want you guys to just pretend that I opened my soda in front of the mic because I was gonna do that and then I forgot and already opened it before I started recording. So uh oops. <laughs> anyway, um welcome you guys to the very last episode of season four. It's been a roller coaster ride, guys, hasn't it? It's been beautiful, right? sort of. (laughs) Although I do have to make a rather sad announcement. So I'm sure some people who have listened to this podcast for a little while know that like I like to take, you know, little breaks in between seasons. Uh, But uh, most of the time I do have, you know, more than enough episodes already pre-written for the next season. So they're usually pretty uh, short breaks, but uh, this one won't be. Now, uh, this Season is kind of ending in a in a weird part of my academic year, um, where I have a lot of work to do, especially in October. God in Christ, I have a lot of work to do this month. Um, So I'm probably gonna be gone till like January. Like I don't think season five is gonna come till like January or like late December, because I've got a lot of work to do and I just like really don't have time to you know write episodes for this show because it is so much goddamn work, and I just do not have the free time, and I'd like to focus on my studies. So I hope you guys aren't too sad, but uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be back with season five for either uh, next year or uh, in, like, late December, like, during my Christmas break, if I have time. Um, but it's okay. Don't don't get too sad. Get really excited for season five, because I really think it's going to be very good. Um, I could possibly have a uh, guest on the show that is not one of the people that um, I know we're to school with. Um, hopefully it'll be uh, fellow uh, podcasters. So I'm sure you guys can like speculate about who that'll be. But I'm really excited to record with those people if I if our schedules end up lining up and they can do it. So, you know, hold out in the hope that that's happening at some point. <laughs> Anyway, um, alright, uh, what did I do this week? Oh, right, so I'm sure, you know, a lot of the... <laughs> according to my demographics, a decent amount of you guys are, uh, my age or, uh, millennials, so I'm sure most of you are on TikTok like everyone else is. And, uh, there's been this thing on TikTok where, uh, people have been pointing out that Old Navy is selling a flannel that looks exactly like the jacket Taylor Swift wore in, uh, the Evermore cover art. And uh, I, a long time Swifty, decided to go to Old Navy and purchase one. So now I have one. Uh, perhaps you shall get some photos of it because it is a, it's a very nice flannel and I do love it. And I don't own many orange things and it is moderately orange and I love it. Anyway. Enough about that. (laughs) Let's get into the topic of today's episode. Today we are talking about Lucrezia Borgia. You can't see it, but I'm doing the little Italian hand things. (laughs) Now, you may have heard of her. You may not have. I know I first heard about her from watching uh, both Netflix's and uh, Showtime Channel's versions of uh, TV show about her family, the Borgias. Uh, that's how I was first exposed to the idea of her as a person. Uh, since then I've done a lot more research and, uh, let's just say they definitely paint her as a character. That's not how you say that word. Character. You guys know what I mean. She's, (laughs) she's definitely, a lot more of a different person when you read about her versus how she's portrayed in media. Uh, She gets, you know, the murder accusations, poison accusations, various incest accusations that are not true at all. So I'm really excited to dive into her because she's a fairly interesting person beyond, you know, all the gossip and crap that's been said about her for like, what, like the last 500 years. I really hope you guys are excited to hear her story too. So let's get into it. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, now Lucrezia Borgia was born on the eighteenth of April, fourteen eighty, in the city of Rome to, at the time, Cardinal Rodrigo Borgia and his mistress, Venosa de Catane. I think that's how you pronounce that. Probably not. Now, with Lucrezia being born on April 18th, that makes her an Aries, which honestly makes so much sense for her because Aries are, you know, passionate and motivated and hard headed people, uh, which, you know, also makes sense because I, I believe that isn't the Aries uh, symbol? a ram. Like, is that a thing? Anyway, I think that fits Lucrezia very well because even if she wasn't nearly as scheming as history tends to make her out to be, um, I think she was definitely uh, ambitious and passionate and, you know, just hard-headed. You kind of had to be to live in the Italian Renaissance, just saying. Um, Also, in a bit of irony, the only other, as far as I as far as I'm aware, the only other Aries woman I've done on this show is Catherine de Medici, who is, you know, a fellow Italian who gets a bad reputation for her ambition and, you know, just, you know, being a woman. <laughs> now that we got that out of the way, let's learn a bit about Lucrezia's family, the Borgias. Now, despite the fact that the Borgias are a very well-known Italian family, they weren't actually Italian. Uh, The Borgias are actually a Spanish family from the kingdom of Aragon, and the only reason they ended up in Italy was because of uh, Lucrezia's great-uncle, Alphonse, who after uh, serving as a law professor and a diplomat, he was elected as Pope Calixtus III and came to Italy along with his entire family, including uh, his wee nephew, Rodrigo Borgia, who... uh, Pope Collectus ended up appointing as a cardinal. Now, Rodrigo used his uncle's connections to rise higher in the church by being a bishop and a deacon. He also served as vice chancellor, which is a position he would hold for, oh gosh, I think he held that for like three decades. I mean, Rodrigo was like, Rodrigo was a good old nepotism baby. Like, think at uh, Kaya Gerber of the Italian Renaissance. Anyway, but, you know, for the time... He used his nepotism very well, like in a very strategic way. And even when his uncle died, uh, he used his uncle's clout over the years to make sure he stayed in power by making friends with cardinals who uh, had good chances of becoming Pope and that he could, like, latch onto, you know, for security. Now, when these men that he became friends with did become Pope, they showered him with gifts and appointments, which worked, you know, pretty well for his entire career of basically being, like, a giant leech. (laughs) Now, most people who are familiar with the church probably know that back then, and even now, uh, men of the church are not supposed to have children. They can't get married, uh, they have to be celibate, and... (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, no men at that time followed that rule, and I'm pretty sure most, you know, church officials also don't follow that rule. And Rodrigo was no exception to this rule, because he was popping out bastards like no one's fucking business. I mean, when he was in his his 20s, he had four children with, um, I believe, one woman, uh, whose name we don't know. Um, His first four bastards were uh, Girolama, Isabella, Pedro Luis, and... Fernando. However, his favorite children were Lucrezia and her siblings that he had with their mother, Vinatia. Now, uh, we think Vinatia was born in 1442, so she was about 10 years younger than Rodrigo, which, you know, isn't a terrible age gap. Um, anyway, she was from a pretty middle-class Italian family and moved to Rome as a teenager, and she ended up managing several inns that I believe originally belonged to her father. Uh, and she was doing this, and that's how she ended up becoming Rodrigo's mistress. Uh, she met him and had an affair with him. Um, I believe they actually met through a different cardinal who was named, uh, Giuliano della Rovere, who actually, ironically, also became a pope. (laughs) So they ended up meeting through, like, that affair that she was having with a whole other cardinal. So it seems like she has a type. She seems to have a type for men who are cardinals who eventually become popes. Anyway, um, she was about uh, 24 when they met. So Rodrigo was, like, 34. And um, she became his, like, absolute favorite mistress. Like, he was genuinely, like, really in love with her. And together they had Lucrezia's older brother, Juan, her older brother, Cesare herself and her little brother, uh, Geoffrey. although, um, I've read some things that say that Rodrigo wasn't convinced that, uh, youngest son Geoffrey was actually his, so, like, maybe Geoffrey is actually Lucrezia's half-brother, we don't really know. Anyway, in about 1473, to protect Venatia's reputation, Rodrigo arranged for her to marry, uh, Domenico de Angenelle, who was basically, like, a clerk in the church, Uh, He was, you know, fairly well-placed. He had a good job and, you know, a house. So Benazia's marriage to him wasn't like a a raw deal in this. Now, for the first few years of Lucrezia's life, she would have been told that Domenico was her father, when in reality, you know, he was actually her stepfather. And I believe she was told Rodrigo was her uncle. But as uh, Lucrezia grew up and Rodrigo gained more power, Lucrezia would definitely enter the spotlight and eventually find out who her actual father is. Now, even though Rodrigo couldn't officially recognize his children, he took a huge interest in Lucrezia and her, uh, you know, brother's lives and wanted to make sure they had first-class education and a very comfortable upbringing, as, you know, they deserved. Now, Lucrezia's upbringing would happen in the home of her Orsini cousins and um, in the, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, in the Piazza Piazza di Merlo, which was a building adjacent to her father's residence so that he could, you know, come in and check up on his kids every day. And I actually think it's really awesome that Rodrigo was, like, actively interested in making sure that her and her brothers were doing okay, which was actually very different from her mom's approach, which was very, um, dare I say, lazy. Um, her mom was pretty disinterested in her children and just kind of let them you know, do their thing. She never really saw them, which I'm sure gave Lucrezia like heaps of mommy issues. Like usually in this time period, if a guy has father and a whole bunch of bastards, he's usually not interested in them and it's usually the mom taking care of them. But like Lucrezia's mom just did not give two giant fucks about her kids. She was like, oh, you know, they're getting fed and they're getting taken care of. What do I really need to do? Anyway lucrezia got a world-class education fit for an upper-class italian noblewoman which you know by blood she kind of was uh she was fluent in spanish catalan which is a spanish offshoot it's spoken in castile uh, she spoke Italian and French, and she could read in Latin and Greek, but she could not speak in Latin and Greek, which is kind of funny. Um, She was also very talented at the lute, writing and reading poetry. And believe it or not, she also received an education in speech giving, which is something I've never heard of before. But, you know, it makes sense because, you know, many women of her status had to do public speaking. So, you know, good job, Rodrigo, for making sure your daughter was well prepared to, you know, speak in front of a crowd. I was never prepared for that. I don't think I ever learned speech, you know, writing or speech speaking. It's probably why I can't speak. You guys know that. Anyway, (laughs) now as for her looks, there is really only one portrait that's like confirmed to be painted when she was alive, but yeah, it's, it's a nice portrait. Now we don't have many descriptions of her, but from what we have, she was a goddamn Italian Renaissance stunner. Everything I've read about her was like, oh my gosh, she was so pretty and graceful. I mean, fuck, people just loved her so much. Lucrezia had this like really thick, long, curly, golden hair, and uh, later in life, as you know, she grew up. It, it started to darken a little bit, which reminds me of me. I used to have really uh, thick, light, golden hair that ended up darkening and as that happened to Lucrezia she decided to bleach it so it would keep its color which is interesting i've never heard about people in the italian renaissance dyeing their hair i guess it was a thing anyway she also had really nice hazel eyes that apparently would change color in the light which I've, I've heard about a lot of people with hazel eyes she also had you know nice pale skin which was you know prized in the renaissance and this just like really round face that kind of like made her look a lot younger than she was and a lot of people thought she was a teenager, even when she was well up into her 30s, which is crazy. But, you know, she was, you know, just rocking it by, you know, telling Renaissance standards, and everyone was rocking with her in the same way, which ended up, you know, being both good and bad for her future career as a full-time hottie of the Vatican. Now, when Lucrezia was 13 years old, her father was elected as Pope Alexander VI. And now, when I say elected, you guys can't see the quotes I'm putting over elected. Uh, When I do that, it means, Rodrigo probably cheated. I mean, most people who were elected to be pope in the Italian Renaissance, well, really, a lot of popes have been elected via cheating. Because, you know, there's a special process that the popes do to, you know, try to, um, oh, what's the word? Un-bipartisan? No. Pick a leader without cheating. But the thing is, a lot of popes, especially back then, would, you know, have little dirty tricks to be able to get elected. But either way, Rodrigo was elected, and he chooses the name Pope Alexander VI. And at just 13 years old, Lucrezia just suddenly becomes the daughter of the most powerful man in the Christian world, and that's saying fucking something. Now, Rodrigo as Pope does not go down in history very well. In fact, he's remembered for corruption, nepotism, and lots and lots of sex. But believe it or not, at first, people that weren't his enemies were actually happy he had been elected. I mean, he may have been Spanish, but in his time as Vice Chancellor, he made a lot of positive changes, which made people overlook the fact that he wasn't Italian. Also, for the first time, Rodrigo was the first pope to recognize his illegitimate children, which was pretty huge because no previous pope, if they had had illegitimate children and everyone knew they had illegitimate children, they would never officially recognize those children. But Rodrigo was the first ever pope to be like, yep, you see this brood of bastards behind me? Yep, these are my kids. Deal with it and people did in fact deal with it um personally i think rodrigo recognized lucrezia and her brothers and i believe her four older siblings because he knew he 100 knew he could use every one of them to his advantage and by god he fucking did it with you know that little sprinkle of nepotism like oh yeah i'm the pope's son what are you gonna do about that Mm mm-hmm now Rodrigo wanted allies in northern Italy so he started searching for good northern Italian families to make an alliance with which is when he settled on the Sforzas now these guys were an incredibly powerful northern family who served as the dukes of Milan and the duke of Milan at the time had a son named Giovanni so Rodrigo called off uh, another engagement that he had originally planned for Lucrezia I believe it was a much lower you know guy in society that he was originally going to engage her to and he decided to engage her to Giovanni Sforza and they were married on the 12th of June 1493 in Rome now the bride was 13 years old yes she was a cute little you know blonde 13 year old and the groom was 26 (laughs) which is ew but at least he wasn't a 40 year old man on like wife number three I mean at least he was a young person so let's learn a bit about good old Giovanni Sforza now, Giovanni was the illegitimate son of the Duke of Milan's little brother. But uh, Giovanni's il- whole illegitimacy thing didn't stop him from being, you know, a good little political pawn, just like Lucrezia. Now, all in all, they had an okay marriage, but I don't really think they were super compatible. Um, in fact, Lucrezia hated his home of Milan in the north, which was she found very boring compared to the Vatican. However, Giovanni was a pretty capable military leader, um, and he had a very fiery temper and was really trying to cement himself in politics when he agreed to uh, act as a spy for his family to try and gain more influence with the Borgias. Um, Unfortunately, after a couple years of being married to Giovanni, I believe uh, Lucrezia is like, what, like 16 or something now? uh, The Giovanni alliance with the borgias was becoming a little weak rodrigo was like "Mm, we don't really need the swartz anymore what can i do to fix that oh yeah murder (laughs) now rodrigo was like totally planning on killing giovanni but lucrezia was like really into giovanni and she warned him about the plot, and he fled Rome to, you know, not be murdered. Now, eventually the Sforzas were able to convince Rodrigo that Giovanni would sign an annulment, which was basically like, you know, an Italian rena- Renaissance divorce, but Giovanni refused to sign the documents to end his marriage uh, to Lucrezia, so his family was, like, Motherfucker, if you don't sign these, you won't have our protection anymore, and that means you will probably die. So Giovanni had to bite the bullet. He signed annulment papers officially ending the marriage, and he also signed a document that uh, where he admitted, and I put quotes over admitted, that he was impotent and couldn't have children, which wasn't true. But it was what the Borgias were claiming uh, to get the annulment You know, through, I mean, he he can't have children with uh, Lucrezia. That's the legal grounds to end a marriage back then. Now, safe to say, Giovanni was not only uh, mad about the fact that he had to, uh, quote unquote, divorce Lucrezia. He was also fucking humiliated in front of the whole country. Now, Giovanni was so pissed that he started spreading rumors that Rodrigo had annulled the marriage because Lucrezia, little fucking 16-year-old Lucrezia, was sleeping with both her brother and her dad. Which is a rumor that is still going around today. And is complete bullshit. Like, there is no basis in fact that she had an incestuous relationship with her dad or her brother. Yet, in most media about her, they portray her as either having sex with her older brother, Cesare. Which pisses me off so much. Or, like, if her dad hasn't slept with her yet in the TV show, uh like, he'll, like, be sexually attracted to her. Like, ugh, it's, like, such a stupid rumor that lives on. In this, when it was just you know Giovanni being fucking pissed off that he was made to divorce her, and it has nothing to do with Lucrezia. She didn't fucking do anything. She would have not have had a single say in this. Anyway, speaking of rumors, there is a rumor that about this time during the annulment process, that Lucrezia was pregnant with an affair baby, and that she gave birth to it in a convent, which is also probably not true. Now, the baby was probably actually her brother Cesare's because he was a little bit of a slut, but people are still convinced that she gave birth to a secret affair baby when she was about 16 or 17, but whatever. (laughs) Time to move on to hubby number two. Now, in 1498, when Lucrezia was 18, about two years off her last marriage, her father made a second double political marriage. Now, Lucrezia married the illegitimate son of the king of Naples, Alfonso, and her little brother, Geoffrey, married Alfonso's sister, Sancha. Now, the bride was 18 and the groom was 17, so not only were they close in age, but this marriage was much better for Lucrezia than her first one, because, well, I mean, she's a year older than him, so at least that gives her a little bit of an advantage. And also, I just like Alfonso, so let's get to know husband number two. Now, Alfonso received a thorough education in the humanities, despite his illegitimacy. Um, his first tutor was this guy named Giano Mejio who was then followed by the Florentine poet uh, Raphael Bellodini, um, who was also called Raphael the Blind because he was blind. Um, and from an early age, Alfonso was involved in, uh, the crisis that hit the Aragonese dynasty of Naples. Now in 1495, during the French occupation, um, Alfonso's father, uh, fled and, um, Later, died in Sicily. Now Alfonso, uh, age fourteen, fought for the return to the throne of uh, two—sorry, to his half brother Ferdinand, who ended up becoming king of Naples in 1495. But uh, unfortunately, Ferdinand died one year later, uh, in 1497. With the restoration of the Aragonese control under his uncle Frederick IV of Naples, Alfonso was assigned to the first position of responsibility and became lieutenant general of the army and he was also given a dukedom and principality which you know is a pretty attractive look for uh, a pope trying to marry off his daughter now she and him got on super well they had such similar interests i mean they were both you know so well educated uh so you know i'm sure that gave them a lot of talk a lot to talk about and apparently according to what i've read he was he was Very good looking. So, good for him. Now, also during Lucrezia's marriage, her father appointed her rather than her husband as governor of the town of Spoleto, which was a huge shock to me when I read that. Uh, Because, you know, women weren't getting assigned to be governors. Like, normally when an appointment like that comes up, that's given to your husband, and you're just like, you know, the wife of a governor. But Rodrigo was straight up like, no, my daughter's the governor of Spoleto. And, you know, also normally, if this were to happen, usually the husband would be jealous, like, Ugh, I should have been the governor of Spoleto. This isn't fair. But Alfonso was like, go, hon. I love you so much. Go, Lucrezia. So we love Alfonso for that. Now, almost immediately after they got married, Lucrezia gave birth to her first baby within, like, a year. Uh, it was a little boy that they named Rodrigo. Of course they did. Um, he was born on November 1st, 1499. Uh, but soon enough, after the birth of her son, Rodrigo, Lucrezia's happiness was about to get ruined by her dad's politics, as, you know. Is, this is going to become a theme in her story. Now, at this time, Lucrezia's father wanted to make more alliances with the French and was less interested in being friends with Naples. So, uh, once again, he was going to try and assassinate his daughter's husband. Now, on the evening of the 15th of July 1500, at the top of the steps before St. Peter's Basilica's entrance, Alfonso was attacked by hired killers and was stabbed in the head, right arm, and the leg. Now, miraculously, he fucking survived this and was taken to his and Lucrezia's home in Rome to be treated by doctors. Now, Lucrezia and Alfonso's uh, sister Sancha nursed him, but a month later, in the middle of the night, the assassins came back to strangle him, and he died. Now, Lucrezia was absolutely devastated. She had loved him so fucking much, and she knew exactly why he had been murdered like she there was no doubt in her fucking mind that this was her dad's fault but it was only about to get worse while her dad was shopping for husband number three uh in order to appear you know like a virgin even though she wasn't lucrezia had to abandon her son rodrigo to be taken care of in naples and unfortunately poor little baby rodrigo would end up up dying of disease at 12 and she would literally never see him again after that which is so sad Ugh it hurts. Now, before we move on to hubby number three, I have to mention that post her second marriage, it's about this time when Lucrezia starts to get the reputation of being a poisoner and a murderer. Now, we pretty much have little to no proof that Lucrezia was poisoning anyone. However, her father's enemies were spreading rumors that Lucrezia would store toxic substances in a ring that she wore, which wasn't true. But it's actually kind of fun to think about. Like, like, oh, I can't remember the name of the person, but there's like another lady that I might end up doing an episode on, probably not a full episode, maybe a side episode. There was this lady in the Italian Renaissance, I think who um would uh give women poison to poison their abusive husbands. It's kind of giving me the same vibe, but like I'm sure on Tumblr, you guys have all seen those little poison rings, and that's what people were accusing her of having, which is like still it's like kind of it's kind of a vibe anyway. After a few years of mourning, her dad arranged her uh, third and final marriage. Luckily, no more husbands are dying this time. To another guy named Alfonso, but this time it was Alfonso I de Este, Duke of Ferrara. Now, luckily, not too long after her marriage to. Um, New Alfonso, her dad died, so no more scheming, no more marriage ruining, and no more assassinations. So let's learn a little bit about the Duke of Ferrara. Now, Alfonso was the legitimate son of the Duke of Ferrara and his wife Eleanor of Naples, and I genuinely think that he was kind of the perfect Renaissance prince. I mean, he was only a few older, a few years older than Lucrezia. He was interested in the arts and was an impressive military commander who uh, would end up fighting in the Italian Wars later in life and although i think he was kind of a cool guy with like all his like you know like interest in art and culture he was also kind of weird um <laughs> when alfonso got bored he didn't you know do a puzzle or like read a book although to be fair he did like music maybe that was a hobby for him uh no he'd either go to um <laughs> his personal cannon making factory which he had a personal cannon-making cannon making factory, or walk around town naked while he held two things, his sword and his, you know. <laughs> now, this behavior kind of explains a lot about what I read about their relationship. Now, even though this was a mostly happily happy marriage, though uh, Lucrezia is believed to have had an affair with her brother-in-law at some point, which is... She was more of, like, a sexual relationship than, like, a companionship. Like, she wasn't this dissatisfied with Alfonso, like, personality-wise. But, like, I don't think she really liked their sexual relationship. Anyway. Also, she did kind of want to get back at her sister-in-law because she was kind of mean and also spied on her during their wedding night, but I digress. Now, when her husband became Duke in 1505, she became a very respected duchess and a patron of the arts, probably the first time she had ever been granted respect in her life. Her court was full of the most renowned poets and artists of the day, including a poet uh, Pietro Bembo, who has often been described as the greatest love of Lucrezia's life. Now, rumors of of her scand- scandalous life began to diminish as she got, you know, older and more and more respect, and especially since her dad wasn't around. Now, while married to Alfonso, uh, she had eight kids with him. My God, uh, her first child was Alessandro de Este, who was a boy. He unfortunately died young. Her second child was another born new boy named Ercole, who would end up succeeding his father as Duke of Ferrara. Um, She also had a son named, uh, Epolito. El Polito? Epolito. Something like that. Anyway. Um, she also had another son son named Alessandro again, who also died young. I think she should really stop naming her sons Alessandro. Like, if your first kid named Alessandro dies, don't name another one Alessandro, because that's just, like, cursing that child. Anyway. She also had a daughter named Leonora. Francisco, a boy. And her final child, Isabella Marie de Este, who unfortunately, I think she died at like seven or something like that. Anyway, now, although Lucrezia wasn't the biggest fan of the north, that's where Ferrara was, unfortunately. I think it really reminded her of her first marriage. Uh, she played an active role in the defense of her new home, Ferrara. Now, in 1510, Pope Julius II excommunicated Alfonso as part of his plans to add Ferrara to the Papal States. Now, the city was placed under um, indirect banning in the participation of rites and sacraments, which basically means that like you couldn't like, like, um, Uh, priests couldn't perform rites and sacraments, which is a huge thing if you're super, super Catholic. Now, Lucrezia was praised at this time for her courage and calm during the crisis. Uh, She entertained the French troops who had come to Ferrara's aid, and she ended up pawning a lot of her jewels to raise money for Ferrara's defense so it wouldn't have to be taken out of the tax money from the people. Uh, Although, despite this, uh, she was... Kind of uh, vilified for her cruelty during the war. Now, Lucrezia showed, however, Lucrezia showed her uh, merciful side by refusing her husband's orders to torture arrested men. Now, in fifteen twelve, Lucrezia would have unfortunately learned of the untimely death of her twelve year old son Rodrigo, who she hadn't seen since he was a baby. Um. She, After her son's death, she ran away to a convent for a while. She was really overwhelmed by grief because, you know, her son, Rodrigo, was like the only connection she had to her second husband, who she really, really loved. And uh, even when she came back from the convent, she lived a more pious and withdrawn life and was heavily dedicated to God, not to mention she ended up gaining uh, weight uh, in her mid-30s. it was just a really really sad time for her. I really wish she had gotten to raise her son. I think she I think she had actually spent several years trying to petition the court to like have her son legally given back to her, but like her dad had like, you know, put an iron tight sort of legal fence around her son. It's just so sad she didn't get to see. It. I wonder if he would have died at all if he had been under her care. Anyway, In 1519, Lucrezia, at the time, had given birth to her last child, Isabella, who she ironically named after the sister-in-law she didn't really like, Isabella (laughs) d'Este. Which, I I know I said they were at odds when they met, which was true because Isabella totally spied on them. (laughs) Uh, Spied on her brother and her when when they were having sex for the first time. Anyway, also, (laughs) despite this, Isabella is actually a pretty cool lady. I hope I get to do an episode on her sometime because Isabella d'Este is kind of fun read about anyway uh, lucrezia had always struggled with pregnancy and the birth of her last daughter isabella had gotten her really sick and unfortunately lucrezia died on june 24th 1519 at the age of 39 she wasn't even 40 when she fucking died her husband and her children heavily mourned her and she was buried at the convent of corpus domini Now, pretty much all of Lucrezia's kids became impressive people after she died. Her sons became politicians and dukes, and one of her daughters, Lorena, became a nun and a composer. So, go Lucrezia Borgia's kids! We'll end up talking about them some other time because um, uh, one of Lucrezia's future daughter-in-laws, Renee, is fairly interesting. So, we'll, we'll get into Lucrezia's kids some other day. So, you know, just wait for that. Okay, getting on to legacy. Nilocritia definitely gets the short end of the stick when it comes to, you know how history views her. Despite being a very impressive politician, administrator, and duchess, many people tend to focus on the unproven rumors about her, which is so not cool because she was so fucking impressive. Like, do you really think anyone would focus on this shit if she was a man? Like, really? Lucrezia had a very sad and complicated life. Her reputation has always swung between dangerous femme fatale to a pawn used by men to get what they wanted. To be honest, she was probably both ambitious and a pawn in her own life which is so sad. Now, thank you guys so much for joining me on this week's episode. Um, I hope you guys are excited for season five, and I will try to get it to you hopefully in January, maybe in December, but I hope you guys are excited. I love you guys. I will see you in a couple months. Goodbye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at rain 2 The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms, it really actually does help the show so much, and it will help me grow my audience, so I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that, all right, uh, bye!